chapter 4. My title for you today is Remembering God's Word and Work. Remembering God's Word and Work. Let me begin by saying this. About two-thirds of the U.S. population identifies as Christian. This might seem high, given some of the directions that our country is going in. But 10 years ago, as surprising as it might seem, it was 12 percentage points higher than it is today. While those who identify as Christians are on the decline, something else is happening. Namely, those who are religiously unaffiliated are on the incline. Now, there are a couple of things here to consider. The first thing is that no one knows how to define Christian. So these numbers are terribly inflated, I'm sure of it. The second thing is this. While people are increasing in religious indifference, and in many cases even more antagonistic toward a Christianity, and so-called Christians are on the decline... It signals to us genuine Christians that we've missed the mark somewhere. That we've missed an opportunity to make God unique among the gods of the world. That we've missed the chance to show the world his wisdom and what understanding looks like in light of his word. This morning, as we wade into the water, that is Deuteronomy chapter 4, we're going to find that the overall theme is simple. God expects to bless his people and impact the world as his people remember his word and his work. Say that again. God expects to bless his people and impact the world as his people remember his word and and his work. Those are my two points for you under that title today. So we're going to get started with our first point, which is this. We are to remember his work. This is found in verse, sorry, I already blew it. Can we start over? <laughs> we are to remember his word. We are to remember his word. This is found in verses 1 through 8. Verses 1 through 8. If you look at that text again with me, this is how it reads, beginning in verses 1 and 2. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you, Moses says, and do them, that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord, your God, that I command you. There are a handful of things that I want to share with you today, and it was really difficult for me to synthesize this message because it was one of those things that continued to offer the more I studied it. Have you ever been there? I mean, those of us who are facilitators or teachers, sometimes you get into a, a sort of groove and you find that hours have passed and you're like, I can't share all this. I will be there till Tuesday. But there are a number of things that I think it would be advantageous for us to walk away with this morning, and I hope and pray that when we do walk away this morning, you say, that was a good word from the Lord. So let me endeavor to share it with you today. Under remember his word, the first thing that I want you to note is this. I want you to note the responsibility of God's people. 
the responsibility of God's people. Look at verse one. And now, O Israel, what? And now, O Israel, listen. Listen. This is an act of discipline. That one way or another demonstrates to God and to others how much we love the Lord with our minds. There are a lot of people that enjoy, like Paul said to Timothy, there will be in the end of the days many people who will gather to themselves, teachers, who will help them scratch the itch. And there are some people who enjoy coming to church or watching church online because for one reason or another, maybe they like the way I speak or one reason or another, they like the way someone else speaks. But while they are being entertained, am I allowed to say this? They're not really listening. They're being entertained, but are they in fact listening? Here in Deuteronomy chapter four, Moses begins his teaching by saying, first and foremost, you must what, church? Listen. Listening requires more than the ability to hear sound. Sure, if you have the capacity to hear, that certainly helps when it comes to the process of listening. But listening, as it's used here in this text, is more than just the ability to hear sound. Listening is being used in this text as a way to say, pay attention. Listening is being used here in this text to say, Focus on what you're hearing. We might even go a step further and say listening is being used here in this text to say be obedient to what's being said. This is not wildly unusual. In the Old Testament, we see a variety of ways in which this statement is conveyed. I'm going to share some examples with you. Oh, yeah, great. Okay, it's already there. You can take a picture of that screen or rattle down some notes, and I think that you'll see how, although the words are different, the theme is the same. As we go through the book of Proverbs, as an example, Proverbs 1.8 says, hear your father's instructions. Chapter 2, verse 1 says, receive my words. Chapter 3, verse 1 says, do not forget my teachings. Chapter 5, verse 1 of Proverbs says, be attentive to my wisdom. So you can see from this illustration pulled from the book of Proverbs that listening is more than just the capacity of hearing. We're not just talking about being able to hear. We're talking about thinking. We're talking about receiving. We're talking about analyzing. It's about hearing, sure, but it's about so much more. Jesus said it this way in Luke chapter 8, verse 18. Pay attention to how you hear. Pay attention to how you hear. So first and foremost, we see the responsibility of God's people. But secondly, I want you to note how God's word is referred to here in this text. He refers to it, he being Moses, refers to God's word after telling his people, listen, he says, listen to the statutes and the rules. Listen to the statutes and the rules. Now, if you have an NIV translation, then it says the decrees and the laws. If you have an NASB, then it translates it like this, the statutes and the judgments. 
Either way, you get the point. The gist is the same, although a variety of words can be used. Is Moses passing down from God both statutes and rules? No. We've seen this before in the book of Deuteronomy. This is another case of a literary tool that's called a hendiadus. A hendiadus uses two words that are synonyms and joins them with the conjunction and, and the purpose is to be descriptive, to be emphatic. And so while Moses is saying, listen to the statutes and the rules, and he goes on a few verses later and says statutes and rules, and goes on a few verses later and says statutes and rules, he's not giving them two different things. He's just using two words to be descriptive, to be emphatic. Consider some psalms. In Psalm 119, verse 33, in Psalm 119, verse 33, the psalmist says, Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep them. And then just a few verses later in verse 39, same psalm, Psalm 119, it says, Your rules are good. So in verse 33, he's saying, teach me your statutes. And then a few verses later, he's saying, your rules are good. Is that because the rules are in one category and the statutes are in another? No. We're just seeing a variety of ways in which the word of God can be referred to. These are words that are used synonymously to describe what we call the Bible. Or more specifically, in Moses' case, the law. So Moses is admonishing the people to listen to the word of God, which he describes as the statutes and the rules. And thirdly, this is what I want you to note thirdly, the respect that God's people should have for God's word is noted. So we see responsibility, listen. And then we see the description, which is the statutes and the rules. And then thirdly, we see the respect that we ought to have as God's people for his word. Look at verse 2, if you would, please. In verse 2, it says, You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Now, this is a verse that it would be extremely helpful to advertise, promote, disperse, among the variety of Christian cultures we have in the United States of America who like to pick this verse but not that one or pick that verse but not the other one. The reality of the matter is, is Moses is handing to God's people the word and when he hands it to them, he's saying, don't add to it and don't subtract from it. Church, can I say something? Amen? We aren't given the privilege or the opportunity to tamper with the word of God. We aren't given the privilege or the opportunity to twist it, to change it, to adjust it, to modify it. What we have been given, we shall receive, or we shall not receive, but we shall not receive under condition, and we shall not receive under caveat. Let me share with you some verses moving forward, verses 5 and 6 of Proverbs chapter 30. In Proverbs chapter 30, verses 5 and 6, it says, Every word of God proves true. How many words of God? Every word of God proves true. And he is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Listen to this, verse 6. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you 
and you be found to be a liar. Church, God takes his word very seriously. In Psalm chapter 50, verse 15, it's a beautiful verse. It says, call upon me in your day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and then you will give me glory. Why does God do what he does? He does it for his glory. And then in verse 16, it says, but unto the wicked, God says, what right do you have to take my word in your mouth? Every time I turn, in, turn on the television and I see a president or a governor or a senator or somebody else quoting the Bible like President Biden did this week, John chapter 1, verse 5, an absolute wrench out of context effort on the part of a pagan, it infuriates me. And I hear Psalm 50, verse 16 in the back of my mind, God saying, what right do you have to take my word in your mouth? And the answer is none. You have no right because a prerequisite to taking the word of God into your mouth is first taking it into your ear. You've got to listen and obey before you have the privilege and the right to speak. This is the epitome of what we call hypocrisy. This is the epitome of what we call fake Christianity, superficial Christianity. In the Greek time of the amphitheater, when the stage was small but the crowds were large, in order for the actors to be seen by those who were sitting in a distance, they would wear elongated masks that amplified the character that they were playing so that the people in the cheap seats could see them. And actors in ancient Greece were called hypocrites, hypocrites. I'm afraid that our church is full of actors wearing masks today. People who look a certain way from a distance, but when you get up close, there's something else. Are you a hypocrite? Are you one of those people who has the audacity to take the word of God into your mouth and speak to other people in a form or fashion of judgment, critique, and yet refuses to listen to the word of God for your own life? I hope not. I hope for your sake and mine, that both you and me are first and foremost submitting to the word of God by listening. And then lastly, by speaking it in a faithful way, in a true way, not by subtracting it because we might offend someone or by adding to it because we think it's lacking something in this other area. And we certainly don't take a verse that is referring to Jesus and wrenching it out of context and applying it to a community that is absolute blasphemy to God so that we can win some favors in the eyes of a group of people God would never approve in the first place. Now, I don't care if we're Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, Independent. I really don't care. We don't elect pastors to the office of president or governor or senator, but those whom we elect ought to reflect the principles that we receive when we listen. And every single time someone lives in direct contravention with the words that we have passed down to us from this word, whether they're Republican, Democrat, Independent, or Libertarian, then we must say that's not biblical. 
And they say, well, I'm a Christian. And we must say, no, you're not. It doesn't matter if their policy or procedure is something that we favor. We must first and foremost be faithful to the word. Remember, church, his word. That's our first point today. Remember his word. Church, when God gave his word, he didn't give us the option to edit it, redefine it, to add to it or take away from it. We are to listen and learn. We are to hear it and hold to it. We are to read it and receive it. And I wonder how many issues would be resolved today in our lives personally, in our families, in our culture, in our country, if we would just take God's word at face value. Final note, verses 6 through 8. Looking at verses 6 through 8, Moses says, keep them and do them. For that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us? Whenever we call upon him, and what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? Church, can I just ask you rhetorically, how many of us are living our lives in such a way, in such proximity to the word of God, that people see our lives and they say, God's word has wisdom and understanding? Or how many of us are living that life that is the very excuse of those unbelievers who refuse to come to Christ or come to church because they say, that church is full of hypocrites. By the way, never allow that to be an example or a reason. If somebody says to you, you know why I don't go to church because the church is full of hypocrites, just agree with them immediately. Just immediately say, you know what, I agree with you. I agree with you. I'm a hypocrite too. Just say, I'm a complete hypocrite. But I'm not asking you to believe in me. God is telling you to believe in his son. And if you have a problem with Jesus, then I'll go burn Bibles with you. But until then, you're just making an excuse to not bow the knee and confess the lordship of Jesus Christ. Where's the boldness? Why are we so afraid all the time? It's like the greatest godly virtue that we could ever think of in 2022 and 23, which is right around the corner. Can you believe it? It's politeness. It doesn't matter if you're miles off the word of God, as long as you're being nice. Church, we've got to hold to the word of God. We cannot add to it, subtract from it. We've got to listen and then speak. Keep and do it, Moses says. Keep and do it. So on the one hand, we have to have an intelligent faith. That is a faith that listens to the word of God, thinks on it, studies it, meditates on it. But on the other hand, as Ajit Fernando says, we need to develop the habit of reading the Bible with a view of learning more about obedience. Did you get that? We've got 
to develop a habit of reading the Bible with a view of learning more about obedience. Church, can I ask you a question? When was the last time you threw open the Bible and said, I want to obey God, so I'm going to study the Bible? Now, we've, we've compartmentalized these aspects of our lives, haven't we? You know, we've got obedience over here, and we've got intelligence over here. And we say, well, that person is so intelligent. You know, as an administrator, you come across this sometimes. You know, my son is so smart, that's why he misbehaves in class. Listen, mom, stop. Just stop. Immediately stop. There is no such thing as a kid who's too intelligent to behave. This is nonsense. You have failed to teach your children correct behavior. Own it. Just own it. The reality of the matter is, is there are kids who need to be taught structure. Intelligence has nothing to do with it. And in the word of God, there is not a separation of intelligence and obedience. In fact, those who are obedient are intelligent. They don't dislocate that in the Bible. And my question for you is, are you hovering over intelligence versus obedience? Or are you hovering over obedience versus intelligence? Some of you serve with so much gladness, but you never open your Bible. And some of you, you will sit over your Bibles nonstop, but you will not help somebody across the street to save your life. We, 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 amen? We must be intelligent and obedient. Listen, intelligent and obedient. Sure, it's wonderful to know the Bible. We should read it. We should study it. We should memorize it. But there's another important aspect to our faith, and that is obedient faith. We are called on the one hand to have intelligent faith, but also obedient faith. If we read the word of God, we come eventually to the book of James, chapter 1, verse 22, in which we read these words, be doers of the word and not hearers only. And so, as people of faith, we are called to remember God's word. But secondly, we are not only called to remember God's word, we are also called in verses 9 through 14 to remember God's work. Let's read this again if you look at it with your eyes. Verses 9 and 10. The point is seen there. It says, Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest you depart, sorry, lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children how on the day that you stood before the Lord, your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, Gather the people to me, that I may let them hear my words, so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children so. Again, as it was with our first point, so it is with our second. Let me share a couple of observations. First, I want you to note the command. Note the command. Only take care and keep your soul diligently. This is a pivotal point that we've already addressed to a certain degree, but it's worth restating. restating. We have to care for ourselves. 
There's a whole movement out there about self-care, right? And because mental health is such an issue in our country today, self-care is one of the notes that is constantly being played. Self-care. And of course, I agree with that wholeheartedly. We must, church, take care of ourselves. If we don't take care of ourselves, here's the follow-up question, what good will we ever be to others? If we somehow feel like we feel better when we're helping others, if we can justify the neglect of ourselves so that we can help others, this is not actually love, this is actually codependency. That's an issue. You need to call Patty and set up an appointment. Codependency is not an excuse for self-neglect. Let me say this again. Codependency is not an excuse for self-neglect. The assumption in the Bible is that you're taking care of yourself. Love others the way you would want to be loved. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, no man has ever denied his own body. We take care of our body. When we get hungry, we eat. When we get tired, we sleep. We take care of ourselves. But are we taking care of ourselves in the way that God has called us to? I'm not talking about convenience. I'm not talking about selfishness. I'm not talking about preference. I'm talking about loving ourselves the way God wants us to love ourselves, and subsequently loving others. Keep your soul, what's the word? Diligently. We have to take care of ourselves. We have to take care of our own souls. Not, not casually, by the way. Not like, well, if I find an hour this week, I'll spend some time in meditation on God's word and, and, and maybe watch the sunset. I'm not talking about the hour in seven days out of the week. I'm talking about diligence. I'm talking about fighting for your right to take care of your own soul. I say I, not me, Moses. Moses is saying, keep the word and keep your soul diligently. It can be translated, and some of your translations probably have that word, diligently, translated as carefully. Are we carefully taking care and keeping our souls? The redundancy is saying something because if we translate diligently as carefully, we say only take care and carefully watch your soul. So the redundancy is kind of emphasizing something to us, isn't it? And I think it's this. It's an important task for you and me to take care of our souls. It's an important task for you and me to take care of our souls. The soul is who we are in the Bible. In total, what makes us who we are? Let me share a couple of verses with you. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. In Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, Solomon says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, because from it flows the issues of life. Keep your heart with all vigilance, because from it flow all the issues of life. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. In 1 Timothy 4, verse 16, the older Paul tells the younger Timothy, keep a close watch on yourself. 
Keep a close watch on yourself. In any case, church, you get the gist. We are commanded to take care of our souls by guiding them with the word of God. And he continues and he says, make them known to your children and your children's children. Make them known to your children and your children's children. How on the day that you stood before the Lord, your God, at Horeb, etc., etc. Listen. We are to remember God's word, but we are to remember his work. And the work that he has done, he has not done for no purpose at all whatsoever. He has done it with purpose. He has done it with cause. He has done it so that listening and learning and experiencing we can pass down what we have learned and what we have experienced to our children and to our children's children. Our faith is to be passed down to the next generation, and we're to teach our children the stories of God's work in our lives in the past. Our faith doesn't begin in the church. Our faith begins in our kitchen. If you're bringing your kids here and expecting me or anybody else to do some radical work in your kids' lives, you're setting us up for failure. Because we cannot do in your kids' lives what you have neglected to do in your kitchen. If you want your kids to be raised in the admonition of the Lord, don't outsource that job to me or anyone else. That's your job. Now, you don't have to be an expert. You don't have to be a professional. But you do have to be a parent. And to be a parent means to pass down your experiences with God to your kids. Before Hannah and Sarah even came out of Dimey's womb, we were reading the Bible to her belly. We were telling stories to those babies. And when they were born, and we were sitting there with the rocking chair, rocking, we were reading the Word of God. Now, fast forward, we're older. And the other day, Daimu was out shopping. Imagine that. And Sarah and I were home alone, and we got into this conversation about theological things. And it was a deep theological conversation because she has been raised in the admonition and instruction of the Lord. When she starts her Bible study preparation for the Tuesday Bible study that she leads at a Christian school with a group of people, sometimes she bounces ideas off me because she's a Christian, regenerated by God the Holy Spirit, who fears the word of the Lord and fears the name of the Lord and is not afraid to tell the stories of the Lord because she grew up on our knees hearing stories about what God has done. You cannot be surprised when you neglect to do your very most important responsibility as a parent. And then when your kids are 16, 18, or 20, they don't hear the word of the Lord. They don't obey the word of the Lord. And you say, that First Baptist Church of Cutler Ridge really messed up my kid. It's not the way it works. Now, 
Now, some of us are here hearing this today, and we're hearing it for the first time or second or third time. And our kids are older, and we're saying to ourselves, we've blown it. We missed the exit. We have forfeited the opportunity to inherit the amazing blessings that we would inherit had we been obedient to the word of God years before. But here's what I want to tell you. God allows U-turns. It's called repentance. Repentance is when we say, God, I was wrong, and you were right. I'm turning around, and I'm going in the direction that you're calling me in, and God will do it. God will do it to your parenting. God will do it to your marriage. God will do it to your relationships. God will do it for you, for your own relationship to yourself. I know that sounds like I'm psychologizing, but if you don't have a good relationship with who you are in Christ, how can you have a good relationship with those around you? God will allow you. Are you listening to me? God will allow you to start fresh today, church. God will allow you to start fresh today. And and I'm reminded of how God speaks to his people. And I want you to speak to your kids that way. I want you to put your hands on your kids and say, I love you and I haven't done a great job. But with your your help, I'm going to turn over a new leaf and we're going to lead our family in a different direction. And I'm going to keep you encouraged, and I want you to keep me encouraged. Can we agree on that? Start praying before your meals. Do small things. You know what the Kaizen method is, the Japanese method of of philosophy, which says the journey of a 1,000 miles begins with one step. I'm not asking you to become a Puritan by next weekend. I'm not asking you to wear holes in wooden floors with your knees because you're going to pray nine hours a day. I'm not asking you to, to, to revolutionize anything. I'm asking you, can you start? Because the five minutes that you do pray is far more significant than the hour you said you were going to pray, but don't. No more talk. Receive the word of God and start paying attention to what is your responsibility. How can we, get this church, how can we pass down to our children and our children's children the works of the Lord if we have never disposed ourselves to see the works of the Lord? You can't pass down something you have no testimony of. And some of that is going to put you in an uncomfortable position. Some of that's going to put you in an uncomfortable circumstance. But the question is this. Do you want to be comfortable or do you want to have character? You don't develop character and comfort. You develop character and struggle. As Frederick Douglass said, without struggle, there is no progress. If you want to be that father or mother, if you want to be that uncle or aunt, if you want to be that grandparent who can pass down the gems to their children and their children's children, then you've got to start taking this faith seriously, backing up to the very first verse of this verse. You've got to start listening. Experiencing the work of the Lord so that with that experience and knowledge, you have something to pass down to your kids. How many of you have bought a Bible for your children or someone close to you who's younger and signed it to them and put your favorite verse in there? How many? How many of you take an opportunity to send an email or a prayer? Daimi did this yesterday with someone. Literally write out the prayer. 
Lord, I pray that you will be with so-and-so while they're going through this, da-da-da-da-da, in Jesus' name, amen. Send it. Send it. What is it you're waiting for? No one is going to serve God through you on your behalf. God wants you to do it. God wants you to share his love and his knowledge and his wisdom and his understanding with the people that he's entrusted to you in your life. Mom, dad, stop playing around. Grandparents, stop wasting time. Take every opportunity to send a verse. Thought of you when I read this verse. I'm proud of you. I know know you've got a test coming up this week. Here's a prayer that I prayed for you this week. What are we waiting for? Even the kid wants it. (laughs) What is it we're waiting for? I'm going to tell you something. Listen, if you're waiting for them to get older, to do it, you lost. You've already lost. The reality of the matter is, is some of you, and I mean this with love and kindness, some of you are thinking through what I'm saying right now, and you're saying, I've already forfeited too much. But I'm here to tell you, in view of who God is, There is always grace. There is always opportunity. I have seen God do things that I never thought would be done. I have seen God do things in the timing, which I never thought it could be done in. But God can do what we believe is impossible. Amen? And if he can do it in my life, he can do it in your life. If he can do it in my family's life, He can do it in your family's life. I'm telling you, I've seen it. I've seen seasons in my life that I thought, I'm not going to get out of this season. I've seen seasons in my marriage that I thought, I'm not going to get out of this marriage. And now I can't get her to leave me alone. (laughs) I'm telling you, put God first. And he will do it. Put God first, and he will do it. He will give you that crown of reward that is something we see lacking all around our country, which is this, legacy. I see young boys and young girls growing up without a legacy having been passed down to them. I'm thoughtful of what the African proverb says. If we do not initiate the boys, they will burn down the village just to feel the warmth. We see that happening around our country. There's no value. There's no value. There's no distinction. There's no pride. We're just beating each other to death and robbing stores and looting and defining things the way we want to define them because it's Monday at 2 o'clock and social media gives us the opportunity to share that stupid idea with a million people. I see kids without legacy. Now, I'm bragging on my kids a little bit, but I don't care that my kids. My kids know that they have a legacy. And my kids know that with legacy comes responsibility. There are some things my kids can't do. But what makes me proud are the things my kids won't do because of the legacy. 
the choices they make make me proud. Because we have, as a family, endeavored to tell them, remember what God has done. Look at verse 12. Remember the covenant. Remember the covenant. The Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of the words. You saw no form. There was only a voice. He declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform. That is, the, the Ten Commandments, etc., etc., etc. Now, I'm going I'm to synthesize this a little bit. The reality is the Ten Commandments are, are sort of encapsulating God's covenant with his people. There's a lot more to it, but Moses is saying, you know, the tablets, the Ten Commandments, which we're going to get to in Deuteronomy chapter 5, basically synthesize the covenant that God has with you, and it begins like this, you shall have no other gods, right? You shall have no other gods. That is the pact, the covenant, the agreement that God has made with his people. Listen, our covenant with God distinguishes him from everything and everyone else. Our covenant with God means, God, I will listen, I will learn, and I will obey. I will bring you glory with my life. I will bring you glory with my service. In the new covenant, it's written like this. All those who are in Christ are new creations. The old has gone. Behold, the new has come. If you need a second chance like that, today's the day. If you need to pivot and make a change in your life, today's the day. Because God's covenant tells us that we don't deserve his covenant. But it is extended to us even still by grace. Grace. 